Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday. We're going to do a power hour today. I do have to tell you, though, that uh, we are testing a couple of new technologies, and I'm not completely convinced we've got it right yet. So be patient. Remember, that's what this is all about. It's why we're... uh, we're not broadcasting to everybody or telling everybody about what we're doing. We're still testing different technologies to make sure we get the best setup possible. Uh, I am testing Starlink today. Uh, I've got the satellite yesterday. Pretty incredible setup as far as ease. It's working, but I'm really deep in some trees, and I'm shocked that it's working, period. It works really fast when it works, but I am getting some obstructions and some interruptions and some programs drop. Other things seem to work great. So the only way to know is to try it. So I will learn what, uh, even the app itself is even pretty interesting because the the system checks for obstructions and it actually tells me that in the area I'm in right now, we could get signal interruptions. We've got a signal, but the trees must be moving or something. I'm not exactly sure. The the technology is pretty cool. Um, If this turns out to work, and I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm pretty confident I have really good speeds right now, but I'm in probably one of the worst places for a satellite signal that I would normally park in. And if this doesn't work where I've got it put today, I think I can get the satellite out far enough to get to a better spot. But I also, now that I know it it works, I mean, it's here, I've got service, it's working great, um, I can order a longer cable, and that would allow me actually to get out to an opening. So this satellite is pretty interesting. The last satellite system I used to get on the air um, far more expensive. The service was really expensive with uh, a lot of data limits, and it was fixed on the coach. So in a place like this, it would have been completely unusable, and that was part of the problem with it. And it was slow and expensive and data limits and all that other stuff, but we made it work then. Um, the beauty of this, no data limits whatsoever. So this would become just my full-time internet on the road. Um, But I think we've got a much better chance of making this one work no matter where I park because the satellite itself is so small and so light that you can move it around. You can even put in different permanent mounts and the satellite pops off one mount, sticks right on another. So I could technically have a mount, a permanent mount up on top of the coach uh, and still be able to move it out on a tripod or a pole or put it on top of something else. Or uh, So it uh, shows a lot of promise. I wish I ha- would have had a little more time uh, to test it. Um, well, it looks like Aaron is telling me I am going on and off. I may have to uh, try switching Internet here then. I don't think this one's going to be consistent enough today. But even though it doesn't seem to be working all that great right now, um, I think it has a lot of promise. I think it was just me not having enough time to try a couple different areas 
uh, with the satellite yesterday. It was snowing heavy, and it was kind of a really nasty day yesterday. Today looks nice, so I will have some time. But I think what I'm going to do right now is I am going to switch Internet. We're probably going to have a short interruption here, and then I will uh, see if we can come back. Hold on. All right. It looks like we should be picking up on the backup Internet. Uh, I guess this is a good test anyway for any time we might have a an Internet connection of any kind, whether or not I can just pick up on a, uh, a backup or not. So uh, I'm just going to talk for a couple minutes here until I get a report from Aaron to see if we are um, back on with consistent audio now. Like I say, I'm, I'm actually really excited about the Starlink. I think it's going to be the solution to this. I just needed uh, a little more time and a little better day to get out there and play around with it. All right, so it sounds like we're back up on our secondary, on our backup Internet, so I guess this was a good test. Hopefully, uh, we should be pretty solid now for the rest of the show. Um, because I do want to work on a lot of this technology and if the Starlink works, and I'm, I'm pretty confident that it's going to, even though it didn't today, um, it will allow me to do one more thing differently in the background that will allow more control over caller audio. So without getting too deep into this, just so you kind of know, um, we are working to make sure we have the best audio possible across the board on the channel. So Right now, what happens because of some of the limited internet and some of the limited technologies right now, the guests are on the same volume control on, on my board as the callers. And I want to be able to separate those out because the guests just have different volume levels sometimes. And then the callers come in and trying to adjust the slider between callers doesn't always work that well. So um, that's why we're doing this. We want to make sure that when we roll this out to everybody and we, uh, we, we have some exciting news coming up about that. Um, our app is being developed right now and things are going really well. So we'll be rolling out new technologies and, and better enhancements to the show and more shows. So this week, um, I think we're going to continue to do what we're doing here. So today will be uh, the Power Hour. We'll just be doing an hour today. Tomorrow will be Destination Health. I may try to do two hours tomorrow uh, for Destination Health. Thursday, I want to get a hold of uh, Mike and Kevin Beckett, maybe do our first episode of Rolling Toe. And on Friday, uh, John and Joel, I'm hoping, will be able to join me for Trucking Technology and Efficiency and that way we kind of roll out our starting lineup. Those are the shows we want up and running. We want to get some episodes on the app already. So uh, this is going to be a big week um, for bringing in a lot of new things, and hopefully we can make it all work. Right now what we're going to do is get to uh, the phones. We've got Bruce and Pete and Ethan on board with us from Pittsburgh Power. We're going to hear from them. Calls are starting to come in, but we do have open lines. So go ahead and start dialing. The time's going to go quick. Uh, we're, we're only probably only going to end up with about 30 minutes for calls. So you want to get them in right now while we're talking with the team from Pittsburgh Power, and that way we can go right to your calls and get in as many as we can. So let's uh, 
We're just going to go right straight down the board here, and it looks like, Pete, you're up first. Welcome back. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing? Doing good. What's on your mind today? Well, I was uh, going to a couple things. One, um, on your site, had a customer ask the difference between rolling in bearings and spinning a bearing. And oh, okay. I guess th- that would be confusing. I mean, I take yes. it for granted because that's what I know. But, okay, how's one bad and one's, one is good? And the, the term spinning a bearing is literally the bearing spun in the block or on a connecting rod, which is bad. Um, right. When someone says they're rolling in bearings, it's just it, basically they're installing them. And it was a term that is used because you kind of roll them in, um, especially the, the, the top main bearing. Obviously, the crank's in a way so it doesn't fall out. You have to, what we do is I, I put a little bolt in the oil hole and rotate the engine around, and it rolls the bearing out. And then when you push the new one in with a screwdriver, you kind of roll it back in, in in place. And I think there are a lot of terms we use that you know, we all probably take for granted that if you're not a tech or been around trucks a long time, you're not going to understand them. That's a good point, and I really I like when we do that. Some, it might seem a little simple, but it's really not. There are a lot of people out there that haven't been around. We don't use these terms as often. I mean, honestly, how often – if we we got to go back a long way. If we go back to mechanical engines, so we're talking the 80s, um, we use that term all the time because you were rolling in bearings 250,000 miles. So we used it a lot. You talked about it a lot. Today, you don't hear it that often because we just don't do that much anymore. Bearings last, you know, all the way to an in-frame. So, um, you know, another one that comes to mind, and we get this question all the time, and this one is more confusing because of all the different ways we say it. Um, We're going to set the valves, run an overhead, run the rack. How many terms can you come up with for, you know, that procedure over the years, that probably really confuses people. Right. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, setting the overhead, uh, setting injectors. Well, you don't just do injectors. You do valves and injectors. And some trucks, we don't even do injectors anymore. You know, the common rail system, it is just the valves. Right. So, yeah, it would be – and everyone uses a a damper. They, They call it everything from a balancer, a damper. No one calls it by the right name. It, right. Right. Yeah. Be, it, it, be clear with that stuff, and if someone doesn't understand, don't, don't be afraid to ask. No, ask. You know the other one, and we, again, it's it's we don't use it much anymore. But there was several years there we were using it a lot, and I would always get the question every time I used the word glider. People are like, "What are you talking about? Is this an airplane show?" I they didn't know what the term glider meant, even though gliders have been around almost as long as trucks have been around, it wasn't a big thing. Norm, it used to be that a dealer, you know, might keep a glider around. Somebody would wreck a truck. They'd put it back together as a glider. Um, and a dealer might do one or two a year of that. Some dealers probably never did any. And it wasn't a big part of the industry until emissions became a problem. And then we started building gliders so we could keep our old engines going. So there were years there where, just about every day we talked about gliders. Now we're back to hardly ever talking about them again. Right. Yeah, and, and I remember, you know, back in the 80s, early 90s, it usually was the truck had fallen apart around the engine transmission. 
<laughs> right. So the caps were they so... were rotten out. They'd buy the and back then you took out a maybe a big cam one through a big cam three in there, and it was a direct drop in. There wasn't the wiring issues. There wasn't the electronic dashes. Uh, a couple guys on a long weekend can do that. You know, they can yeah. get the glider coming in with the axles in it, yank out their engine transmission, freshen them up, do whatever they need to do them, drop it in place, and you know, by Monday or Tuesday, he's back on the highway compared to what it turned out to be now with uh, you know, putting the old engines in the newer trucks and, and all the yeah. extra work that was needed to be done. And they could buy that truck that was supposed to have a big cam in it anyhow. So right. if it had a small right. cam in it, it's the same size as a big cam as an N14. They literally just dropped in. You weren't changing mounts and drive shafts and all right. that stuff. A lot simpler. Yeah, yeah, sure was. All right, we're uh, we're going to move along pretty quick today. We're only going to do an hour. We're just testing some technology, so I want to get uh, get the other guys in, and then we'll get to some calls. If uh, calls are coming in, you better uh, get to them quick. Bruce, you're next up. Welcome back. Thank you, Kevin. And you said something to me at the end of the uh, second day or third day of the Louisville show that your brain was tired. And that happens to Pete about every day. And when I'm in the office and I take 30-some phone calls, my brain is tired at the end of the day also. So my brain works much better in the morning. But the I wanted to talk about uh, John Newby. He came back. He was in the convoy. He has the C-16 cat with the long wheelbase, uh, four-axle, 379. And when he first called me, he was getting 4.3 mile per gallon. I uh, worked up a special turbocharger for him, being it's a C-16. He did his first haul yesterday with some wind. And um, he was at 4.3, put in the 264 gears, slowed down a little bit. And he was up in the low fives. Now he's at 5.7. And we think his son was running the truck last night. We think he's going to be around 6.0. So wow. that's 1.8 mile per, no, 1.7 mile per gallon increase. And it still has the bad muffler underneath. He has our muffler to put on it yet. So we're. Our ultimate goal is to get this thing from 4.3 to 7. Wow. You know what would be uh, – I, I can't even do the math in my head on that one. Um, maybe I've got too much going on with all the technology. But uh, at some point, I may grab a pencil here and figure it out. With that kind of gain, starting at – did you say 4.3? 4.3. Oh, hey, I wanted to say with this manifold and turbo on the level with the load, I think he's 106,000 gross. He normally is was on with the stock cat manifold and turbo. He was 15 to 18 pound of boost on the level. Now he's at six to nine. Wow, that's a so that's really quite that a drop. Running much freer. Do you know roughly, I would imagine in an operation like that, he's not doing a ton of miles, but do you have a rough idea what he does a year? I don't. I, I okay. do not. But uh, as okay. we get closer to the end of everything that we're going to do, you know, we're going to be talking about putting the fast system on it and getting the muffler on some, and some other things, and uh, then we'll 
we'll find more of that out. God. But I also wanted to tell you, you know, I've been inventing things a long time. Um, but one of my first inventions was tire chains for a bicycle so I could deliver newspapers in the snow. And, um, you know, whenever you're 10, 10, 11 years old, you, you don't think, man, maybe I have something here I could market. Hey, hey, Bruce. Bruce, yes. I, I just thought of something that's something else you and I had in common, except I might have been ahead of you on something. You know, most things you did before I did, water skiing, I, you and I have done a lot of the same things. When I was nine or ten, right around that same age, I had my first paper route, but I was delivering them on my Honda Mini Trail 50. I could have used some snow chains for that thing because that got a little wild <laughs> in the snow and ice. I used to crash all over up and down the street delivering papers. I didn't have anything with an engine until I was 16, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> Other than I, my I, dad's I, Cub Cadet. Yeah, yeah. No, I uh, I had a lot of things with engines when I was really young. But, uh, yeah, I was delivering yeah. papers in the snow on a, on a little mini Trail 50. Okay. But um, I could go on. I have a lot of a lot of other things. But I, I wanted to say there was we had five different wives that came to the show with their husbands who were the owner operators, and the wives talked more than the husbands, and I thought that was kind of cool. They were really neat ladies. Two of them were the ones that I brought over that wanted the picture with you. It was this was my favorite truck show in a lot of years. For me, it was really different. Normally, I have all kinds of pressure to do the show, the radio show, the seminars. I'm always running back and forth. I don't really – and that's always on my mind. You know, I've got a seminar today. I've got one later this afternoon, that kind of thing. Uh, this time, I had absolutely nothing, uh, and I spent 90% of my time in the booth with you guys, and it was just slammed mm -hmm. the whole time, but I really enjoyed it. People seem to really be in a good mood this year. Uh, everybody really, probably because we went two years without any shows, and it was just good to be back and see a lot of the same people we've been seeing for years or decades now, but then uh, a lot of new people, too, and the the, uh, the atmosphere and the attitude just seems really positive. It was awesome. Great show. Okay. All right. Let's, uh, let's hear from Ethan. Ethan, welcome back. As always, Kevin, good to be here. What's uh, what's new and exciting in your world this week? Oh, just one little interesting issue. Um, you know, on these common rail engines and even newer engines in general, you know, there are hundreds of fault codes, um, and it's impossible to have them all memorized. I mean, because there's so many different ones and some really odd ones, and then some really common ones. And well, two Saturdays ago, Nick Carter gave me a, uh, a call, and we looked at a code on a truck. And he said, it's a fuel pressure code. Well, assuming it was a low fuel pressure, which is a very common issue on these newer engines, it was actually fuel pressure high, which the good news is it limited the actual problem down to only two possibilities instead of, you know, about 15 different things. So it turned out to be a really easy little fix. It was just a little actuator. Okay. That uh, it, that does make it nice when you have one thing like that that really limits down the possibilities when you're troubleshooting. Well, you know, there were two. It, it was a relatively new truck, had about 100,000 miles on it. 
Um, and the interesting thing was it was either a plug fuel line on a, a year-and-a-half-old truck or it was that little actuator on the fuel pump was bad. Um, even though I've never seen one go bad, and the dealership said the same thing when selling the part to the guy for the truck, it fixed the problem. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, just one of those interesting cases that normally, you know, when you say a fuel pressure code, you know, there's probably 30 different ones. But typically, they're, you know, it's low fuel pressure, not enough volume, just, and then all of a sudden you get thrown the curveball of, hey, look, it's, it's, not what you thought it was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, uh, you know, we've talked about it many, many times, and there just aren't, I think it's probably one of the most valuable skills you can find in a, in a mechanic or a technician or an engineer today. The ability to troubleshoot quickly, to take all those, because we've talked about, if we go back far enough to mechanical engines, they were pretty damn simple. I mean, there were only a couple things that went wrong and only a couple things that could cause that to go wrong. And it was it was almost all engines and drivetrains were very similar back then. Now we have all the proprietary systems that make this much more difficult. Now we look at something as simple as a fan not coming on and off properly. And just off the top of your head on some trucks, how many possibilities on something as simple as a fan? Oh, six or seven, and they can go up from there. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's a really, really valuable skill now more than ever, and yet it seems to be harder and harder to find. Yeah, yeah, and things like that, too. you got to sometimes, we'll call it divide and conquer. You know, you got to determine, is this an electrical issue or is this a mechanical issue? Um, and then once you determine then that, then you can go the proper route. Yeah, excellent. All right. Uh, anything else today? No, that was my excitement. All right. So, uh, Bruce, um, you said you've got that truck, or you, we're at six now. Started at four point three, and you're uh, just about six now. Uh, we're at five point seven on the first load. He thinks the uh, his son last night was going to turn in at about six point zero. If it four point three. If it turns out to be 6.0 and he runs 100,000 miles a year, I went pretty low on the miles. And we used the fuel price. I didn't even use the national average today. It's $5 a gallon. It's been higher than that. But just on those numbers alone, that savings is $33,000 a year. Awesome. The savings, $33,000 a year. That's so his total investment were, let's say, 6000 for the dips, and he had a bad differential anyway. <laughs> and then he has about uh, 4800 in the manifold and turbo and 170 in the muffler. And so, what that means investment-wise is he invests that money today, and he'll end up with all of that money back in savings in about four months that fast mm -hmm. and then everything yeah. after that is just pure money in his pocket now yeah Incredible. and he loves how it runs free so he's enjoying when you and i talked about the dopamine endomorphines and adrenaline in the brain released from a great running truck he is getting that yep he was high on life yesterday afternoon when i spoke with him so that's a good thing 
There we go. All right, we are uh, we're going to get to the callers. It's, uh, I think it's going to be a lightning round. We're going to try to get to as many as we can. There's still room, so if you want to join us, if you're listening in, the number to jump in with a question, a comment, a topic. Let's keep it to maintenance today. Eight five five nine five zero three eight three five. We're going to get started in Iowa. Dan, welcome to the program. Oh, hold on one second. What just happened there? New technology. There okay. we go. There we are. Dan, welcome. There we are. Hi. N14, uh, red top. I believe it's just a select, though. It's not a select plus. It's CPL1324. Do you have a manifold for that? We do. And do. what type of okay. uh, truck is it? Make sure it's not a Ford uh, or something that's different. No, it, it's an FLD. Yeah. Yeah, we would have a manifold. Let me see if I have them in stock at this time. Oh, look at that. You're it's going to benefit with uh, some fuel mileage, some horsepower, and drop some pyrometer temperature as well. Okay. Because I, yeah, I stopped at Full Tilt Booth, but they didn't think they offered one. So I really, I was like, oh, I'll just call you guys and see. Yeah, so it, it's the um, so the the thirteen twenty four is just a select engine and not a plus, and they okay. do take a different manifold, but we do have them. You do have okay, and then the other, I just wanted to bring up a point about the truck show. I, I guess I don't know what's going on, but I haven't been there since '07, and I felt like it was really down on vendors there. Like there's, why are none of the OEMs there? None of the trailer manufacturers oh. like. A lot yeah. of them, the truck manufacturers, there is a lot of technology I was hoping to see there. You know, I figured someone would bring an electric truck to check out. Eaton has an electric axle. I, I mean, none of that stuff was there. I was really hoping to be able to put hands on and check it out. Yeah, I was too. I, I can explain it. And I did see a picture okay. of a Volvo electric truck, but somebody said it wasn't there during the show. I'm not really sure what the story was with that. I didn't go over there much because you're right, that whole section where the OEMs normally are was just kind of gone. But the rest of the show is actually bigger and better than it has been over the last couple of years. Um, if you haven't been there since 07, you yeah, missed one of the, yeah, you missed one of the worst years back then. It was either 08 or 09. 08. OE- I know 08, a bunch of them didn't show up and that's why I didn't yeah. go that year. Yeah, the OEMs pulled out. And what the OEMs have been saying for a while now was that every year is too often for them. They don't have enough new stuff in just a year. And that, believe it or not, I've heard that that show can cost them three to four million dollars, the OEMs. Yeah. So they were saying, look, we just don't have new stuff every year. Even every other year is sometimes pushing it. They might not have big releases in just two years. And these shows are just getting way too expensive. And it's just a trend across not even just the trucking industry, but a lot of industries where, you know, these shows are just so outrageously expensive. And how do you justify that? You know, somebody's going to buy a truck. They're probably going to buy it whether they can come to the truck show and see you or not. So it's not like just by being there, you're going to sell 100 more trucks that year. And that's kind of what the OEMs are looking at. They're saying, look, you know, they can come down and see our trucks at the dealer. We can explain everything. The shows are nice, but it's just it's gotten to the point where it's just too expensive. 
some of the new technology, I feel like the dealers aren't even up on a lot of it. Or sometimes, you oh, can, they're not. Like I said, you can see a hands on yeah. right there and, and be able to talk to the guys that are there representing them and maybe get a little more info. But yeah, even even when it came to tires, I just thought there. Was, I don't I don't know if Michelin was there or not, but I just didn't really see a whole lot out it, of them. It, I guess. I, it, it really this time was a, a much more small vendor kind of show. You didn't see as many mm-hmm. big vendors. You know what else? I don't know if I saw, but honestly, I did not have much. Even though I had nothing going on, um, I went straight to the Pittsburgh Power Booth most days. I might have made a detour to visit, you know, went over and saw Garmin and Truck Stop and a couple other companies and people I wanted to see. Um, hey, Bruce, Pete, Ethan, was the that big China section there this year? No, it was no. not. I didn't think so. I thought that was normally in the West Wing. There is a few of them sporadically throughout there. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, they had their the own. Last... So where we were at, the door we would come into to load is where they had it. So if, if you're facing, say, the um, the other direction, you're in our booth and facing yeah. like the, the far wall, right. back there they had a big setup with just the um, – they actually almost had it enclosed in. Yeah, and, and every year it was getting bigger and bigger, it seemed like. And then this year they're just gone. Yeah. Hmm. It's okay. They can stay yeah. in China. Oh. Yeah, I agree. I agree. They were starting and by the way, when you said that whole West Wing. 2008, we didn't notice this show was slower. I mean, we've been busy every year we've been there. Right. I started going to that show around 1990, so... Yeah, I can remember years where we were always busy in our section over there, and your your booth is really the anchor for that whole section. But I'd go talk to other vendors, and they were saying we're we're talking to each other because there's just not many people. Um, so, all right, uh, Dan, thanks for the call. We're going to grab another yeah, thank you. one. We're going to head off this time to uh, Nevada. John, welcome to the program. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Got an oil sample I wanted you to take a look at. Did you send it to me? Uh, I did. She said she was sending it right over to you. She found it in the email, I'm assuming. Okay. She probably did it in text then. Hold on one sec. There it is. I like this system. All right. Uh, a little, A see. little background? Sure. Go ahead. Um, November Thanksgiving week, um, I went to Pittsburgh Power, had the um, the diesel force cleaning done. So they did an oil change then, gave me the additive for the fuel, so on. I also had the ECM tuned. Um, I just did my 25,000 um, oil sample since that was done. So okay. I'm just wondering if what I've got in here is probably from that. Yeah, we've got a couple weird things I do want to talk about here. Um, you is this the first time you were using the T6? Uh, no, I think the time before might have been T6 as well. The reason um, I, I asked is semi synthetic before that. Okay, the reason I ask is because the couple of samples before you were solid in the 14 range, three samples. Uh, the last one being 14.7. That's a viscosity we would expect out of T4, just their standard oil. 
Now it's showing 12.2. It's actually a little on the low side, even for a full T6. Nothing to worry about, and I don't see any fuel dilution. So, um, and I can't re- I can't remember if I dropped base in it before a sample. Um, then I, I know I'm trying to remember to do it after I sample because I was able to. Well, you're. The, we're yeah, talking right. about viscosity. Your base is. Oh, actually, okay. Okay. So, yeah, whatever you're doing with adding base, you're doing it perfect. So just keep okay. doing it. Yeah. Your base right, is okay. right where we want to see it. Um, the viscosity, I can see the change going from T4 to T6. The other thing, you said it was a diesel force cleaning, right? Right. Pete, are you aware, is there anything in that diesel force cleaning that might show up as sodium? I'll bet it is. I'll bet there's something in there. And I'm asking because we have sodium but no potassium. Very possible. And we are going through the engine. You fire the truck up. Um, you know, so it wouldn't surprise me. And then, of course, we do an oil change afterwards. Right. But there's going to be some residue. Some of the engines hold a little more oil mm-hmm. than others. So that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Now, the other possibility... Um, have you been running in areas that do a lot of treatment on the roads in the winter? Salt, ice, no, putting down? After no. We, after we did that, we were off until March 1st, pretty much. Okay. I have a feeling it, when there's sodium and no potassium or potassium and no sodium, it's not a coolant leak. You have to have both if it's coolant. Right. And when we see one or the other, it's usually something weird. I've had one where the truck delivered to chemical plants all the time. And, and it was actually picking it up from the environment somehow. Um, a, a lot of times we see this in the winter because of the products they put down on the road. But my guess with yours, when you said diesel force cleaning, I thought that's probably what we're seeing here. Um, okay. The other thing that – so far, nothing on the sample is a concern at all. Everything looks good. Okay. You just have a couple little weird things that I'm talking about. But they're, this is a really good sample. The other thing looks bad. Uh, no, I wouldn't dump this at all. I would okay, keep running good, the good. soil. Yeah, do not dump this one. Um, the copper shot up to 133. That might yeah. be concerning. You might think, oh, bearings. But look over to the left. I've never right. seen numbers this low on lead, ever. Your history is on lead zero, 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 one, zero. Right. There's no lead at all in your oil, and there never has been. So if we can't, if we're not seeing lead, then the copper's not coming from the bearing; it's leaching out of your oil cooler, and that doesn't hurt anything. And I guess that could have been from the cleaning as well. It could have really it, run through the oil possi- cooler and cleaned yeah, it up. It's and, possible. Yeah. yeah, I didn't even think about that. Okay. And, and sometimes yeah. the oil coolers do it when they're brand new. Sometimes they do it after a million miles, and it's just out of the blue. Nobody's ever been able to explain to me why it happens. And I've seen yours is 130-something. I've seen that shoot up to four or 500. Okay. So well, actually, you know, we had all these weird things. Yeah, we were talking about this is a good sample, and I just keep running this oil. Okay, I appreciate it very much. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to... Indiana. Paul, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I've heard you guys talk about tunes on uh, 
like the Cummins and your cat and everything, but I was just curious about what the tune does for a DD-15. I just, I'm just illiterate when it comes to tunes, I guess. Ethan, you want to take that one? Yeah, so it's going to do the same thing as it does for the other engines that you listed there. <clears throat> you know, we increase the horsepower and the torque, and typically when we do that and a few other changes we make, it actually increases fuel mileage. Um, so most guys see it right around the two-tenths. Um, it's hard to make a guarantee on it, but the average person calls back and goes, yep, I did see an increase. And that most guys love the little bit of extra power that it gives. Okay, and you, uh, I, I looked it up a while ago, but I, I thought you guys had a remote tuner in Nebraska, if I'm correct. Yeah, some of the guys can do the DD-15s, but the list is is a little bit smaller there. Smaller. Um, yeah, and I believe Cross and Sons can, off the top of my head. Okay, because uh, that's the next step I'm looking at for my truck. Uh, I just wanted to get a little bit more uh, knowledge on it before I, you know... <laughs> I I can jump in and just kind of add that I've driven several different engines with different Pittsburgh power tunes over the years, and most recently the tune they put in my C13. Of all the things we do to trucks that we would consider aftermarket, air filters, fleet air filter, the fast fuel system, all the things we've done, manifolds, turbos, all kinds of crazy stuff. It all works. It's all proven, better performance, better fuel economy. My favorite by far on every engine I've ever drove is the tune itself. If I had to pick, if I bought a truck and where do I start? I used to tell people, start with the cheapest thing first, take your savings, let it build up, do the next thing in line. And and sometimes you have to, You, you know, you don't have the money to just run out and start dumping in. But if you do, if you say, okay, I'm ready to start modifying this truck, I want better performance, I want better fuel mileage, I've got the cash to do X, if there's enough cash in the budget to do the two, it'd be one of the first things I would do. Now, having said that, and they would do this at Pittsburgh Power anyway, before we do anything, we want to make sure the truck's running the way it should be before we start modifying it. So has the overhead been set? Have we done oil samples to know? We don't have any injector soot issues. Have we pressure and smoke tested the charger cooler? And basically, that's a lot of what we did even on the coach. Ran through some of those things, found a boost leak, fixed that, had exhaust restriction, improved that. So then you say, okay, now it's running the way it's supposed to. Everything is is as good as it should be. Now we can start modifying and again, if I had the money, the tune would always be the first thing I would do. Okay, in the time frame I'm looking at trying to do this, I'll have enough time to get all those other, what you mentioned, in order. Good, this good, yeah. It, um, track and I haven't it, done an oil sample yet, so that's on my <laughs> pretty soon Yeah. List. Yeah, it, it it's just oil samples are good just so we're not masking some sort of a problem with the upgrades. You know, you, you you might have a, a a boost leak, we may have soot, we may have some injectors streaming, and you tune it, and you can kind of cover up some of those problems. 
Because all of a sudden, the tune is so good, the truck's running so much better, you think, wow, this is amazing, but we may have just covered up a problem. So that's the time to just say, look, we're going to go through, we're going to do these things, overhead oil sample, boost leaks, check them all, and anything else we can think of, and then start to, to do the modifications. And now is a good time, I think, for a lot of people to take all the money we've been making over the last couple of years, been a really good couple of years. And if you haven't taken the time to do this kind of work to your truck, I would do it now. Things are about to get tough. I was, um, I got an email from uh, Noel this morning, um, the analyst we follow in the trucking industry, sent me an email and rates are actually down 50 cents a mile from last year. 50 cents. That's big but what's happening is fuel prices are up so high that it's almost making up all of that in the fuel cost, in the fuel surcharge. And people go, oh, well, that's not me. I don't get a fuel surcharge. doesn't matter. It affects every single rate. When fuel goes up, every rate across the country is going to go up with it. It happens slower than the fuel surcharge does, but after a couple weeks at the most, all of that starts to show in the fuel prices. And I don't think fuel prices are coming down for a while, but I think rates are going to continue to drop. So now it's really time to focus on those, those you know, killer rates just aren't going to be around. We could see a big decrease in rates and it's time to really start focusing on expenses. Yeah, I uh, started using your fuel gauge app just for that reason Good. and right now i've been saying that my fuel surcharge is actually paying me right now so i'm trying that's to awesome that yeah that that that's awesome now is the time and you're doing it exactly right now's the time to take that extra money and say let's get ready for when this changes because i don't think it's going to be long and uh your guys's max mileage catalyst i love it last july i had to do a one box and dpf and knock sensors and since last July, I've only had two forced regions. Excellent. Excellent. Good to hear. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's uh, let's go to Kansas this time. Oh, hold on one second. Operator error there. you got to press the right buttons. Ernie, welcome. Yeah. Uh-oh. Ernie? Oh, there you are. I Bruce think we got you back. Try, try again. Yeah, um, Bruce said something about uh, something you put on your one-ton pickup to make it ride smoother, and I was wanting to know what that was. Yeah, I think I still have the brochure here on my desk. Let me make sure. It is. Yeah, it's called. Sulastic, S-U-L-A-S-T-I-C. It's a Torflex axle in your spring shackle, and it works wonders. Okay, yeah, I've got two one-ton pickups I use in the summer, and, man, they are rough riding. <laughs> yep. It's info at sulastic.com. The guy is an engineer out of Mexico. He designs operating equipment, but uh, 
What made him design this, I don't know. Apparently, he's got a one-ton pickup in Mexico. But his son runs the company in San Antonio, Texas. Okay. Okay, I appreciate it. Um, I was wondering, on a M11 Cummins, I had the Ethan tune it. I was curious, what is really, like, your best spot for your RPMs to run, you know? It seems like it, runs, it likes to run fairly high. What, or what higher year is it? Cap. What year a, is it? A 9.9. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're going to run that significantly higher than you want to run a cat. That engine's probably going to do best like in the 1400 to even 1600 range. You can play around in there, but it, you, you're really not going to run that engine much below 14 and probably mostly around the 1500 range. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of low geared, but it seems like, you know, like when you're trying to climb, it likes it up there around 18 or so. That's probably. That's kind of what I've been finding, so. Yep. Okay, yeah. well, I sure appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Um, hey, Bruce, while we're on that topic of suspensions, uh, I'm dealing with an issue on the front suspension of mine. The damn roads are so rough this trip out. Um, I was hitting the bridge abutments really hard, and I thought, something's not right. I got under there, actually, the bracket and the bushing that holds down my sway bar had cracked. So I pulled it off, had somebody weld it, got it back on, and that part's fixed. Um, I think it also affected my ride height. I need to get under there and adjust my ride height now. Um, but I remember you talking about a, a front suspension product. What would, what was Safety that? Plus. Safety you need plus. to come back and you know, come back over, and let's put the Safety Plus on there, and you'll be shocked. You won't feel all that shock back up through the wheel when you hit the bumps, when you hit the uneven bridges. It renders the steering wheel very smooth. That's it. Gives it gives you a I lot actually, more control. I actually also picked up a little bit of a shimmy in the steering wheel at right at about, well, I, I actually came back at 70 almost the whole way um, the other day. I normally don't drive that fast, but I just had a lot I wanted to get to. And, and honestly, right now, this thing cruises so easy at 70 uh, with all that power. So I was pushing it a little bit, um, but I, I actually picked up a little bit of a shimmy in the wheel. I've never had anything like that. Um, so I have a feeling I really just need to go through this whole front end. I'm going to put a set of shocks on it. Um, I may even replace the bushings on the sway bar, but I, I think I'd like to put that on. I think that sounds like a good idea. Okay. We have All contacted right. King Shock, who made the Road King, or there was it Ride King, the people out of Montrose? Um, Colorado. Colorado. So yeah, was that Ride that, King? That was Road King. They were originally in California. Then they did move their operation to Colorado. There was a company called Ride King. They went out of business several years before all that happened. Then Road King stopped making the heavy-duty shocks. Now I think somebody said they're being marketed under a, a brand called Fox Shocks, which... Fox, Fox won't even talk to us. Very okay. arrogant people. 
Um, and I just put two on the snowmobile. Fifteen hundred dollars for two snowmobile shock absorbers. Isn't that ridiculous? Wow! But, uh, Holy yeah. cow! Oh, yeah. I was I was stunned. That's crazy. Yeah, I, my buddy Mike Lane said, "Man, this is a cat's meow. You got to have these." I said, "Send them to me." But anyway, Fox won't talk to us. And King said, "Well, you have to start out with two hundred thousand in inventory." So when we send up a catalyst dealer, we set them up. It's fifty-one hundred dollar initial purchase buy-in, and everybody saw oh, fifty-one hundred. Well, now to carry truck shocks, two hundred thousand dollars. So we're trying to talk some sense into them. I have Bill working with them, and we want to be able. We're, we're going to take over the rebuilding of them and help them redesign them so they work better on trucks. I have several ideas in my head for them. So. The other company that was going to do it, uh, they, I think he was overwhelmed with how many different shocks there were for trucks. And then we talked to an Australian company, and uh, it's a tough situation to try it to is. get a good truck it, shock. It, we've been talking about it for years that the the best shock was that we were able to get was the Road King. It even it had issues though; they had seal issues for many years. They would you know, just start leaking for no apparent reason. I know they made a couple improvements. And it was one of those things, and I used to say all the time, um, I love the shock. It gets better and better. I actually did not like the company at all. I, and, you know, the owner was okay, but their customer service was horrendous. And I used to tell him Terrible. all the time, we're going to tell people that we like your product, we love your product, we hate your customer service. And I'm going to make sure they know that. So you guys should probably try to figure out how to fix it. And I know it was one of the reasons they went out of business. The other one was that is just a really, really expensive shock to build. There, there's just no way around the cost of it. But if it if they could have kind of perfected it, like you said, you have a couple ideas. I'm sure there are going to be improvements. And they would have had better customer service and an exchange program that didn't require you to take your shocks off your truck and be without them for a couple of weeks while they rebuilt them. That, to me, was the most ridiculous thing ever. You rebuild a bunch of shocks and have them in inventory, send them to me, and I'll send you mine back, like a core. Why, don't, why wouldn't they do it that way? That's right. That's right. I, we had a, I had a lot of ideas. Uh, one year, that guy sat across in his booth, from Pete and I at the Dallas Truck Show, I tried to talk to him. I might as well talk to the Stone. I know he, he, uh, it was terrible. He uh, was. Uh, we called him. Still is. We called him with different things and different ideas. That bearing they had in the top that needed to be replaced with urethane. You got. You got to think about this, especially on a frost heave. When it, the initial shock has to be taken up by something, and then the shock reacts. So that has to have a urethane bushing on the top and bottom and not a ball bearing. Why a ball bearing? It's not spinning. What's a ball bearing doing? There's very little motion there at all in any direction. You're right. So, yeah, you know, I've talked to people in the off-road Baja world, and I guess he was like a legend in that world. And... You know, he did have really cool shock technology there. And his his technology was good. It just needed some refinement. And 
they were mm-hmm. doing it. They were a little slow at it, but uh, I think what really did them in was cost and, and their horrible customer service. All right, let's uh, – I just looked at the clock. We need to grab a call here. We're going to head off to Texas. David, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. I got a target air cooler problem, and I don't know. I had a Duralite on here. It only made it about eight months, and then all the, the grommets on the, the hot side kind of just disintegrated. There are like 12 of them in a row there. And, and well, well how, many the of turbo, how many kind of turbo boosts are you making? It's about 32 is what the most I can get out of it. Oh, that's not that hot. But what did Doralite say about the grommets? Well, when I called them, they, so, they told me that since I didn't, I, I had already went ahead and purchased one from Freightliner, that's the OEM, to get back on the road, and they told me it was the... The warranty was void if I didn't buy another one from them and have a serial number to the one I put back in to replace the, the bad one. So, and then well, I was going to have to ship it all the way back. Pardon? I don't have a dealer or nothing around me. Do you have a record, an invoice from the one you bought from the Doralite? Yeah, they shipped it to me out of Colorado because I don't have a dealer around here. And they want, so they why don't you send it back? Because they told me that, that the, yeah, for the warranty to be valid, I had to re- replace it. I had to replace it with a Duralite. Correct, and that that's for so, everybody. Uh, you know, there's there are guarantees that if you buy this and it doesn't do this, a guarantee is very different than a warranty. On warranty, virtually every manufacturer I know, the warranty just says if our product fails, we'll replace it not refund it, will replace it. And, uh-huh. Bruce, I, I was I was going to ask you, have you ever seen that happen on a Duralite? I've never seen it. I have not. But if you I send it my- back to them, they should send you a replacement. So then now you'll have a spare. Yeah, well, that's what I said. That's what I thought, too. But they, they said, no, and then if, if we find a, a, just a trace of oil on them, any of them grommets, it's voids the warranty also. So... Yeah, for whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. Turbochargers, by their very design, I know. at times will seep a little bit of oil. And a little bit of oil side, residue. Yeah, yeah that, uh, that shouldn't hurt that. That's just a standard well, rubber O-ring. That should be a Viton O-ring so that it doesn't affect it. Yeah, so I was going to have to box it up and ship it all from Texas back to Colorado and just take a chance whether they say yes or no and send me another one because they didn't as it was they said probably not since I didn't have another uh, serial number to put they wanted that serial number of the replacement one on their the warranty form now to I send in with it I haven't dealt that doesn't sound with um Duralite in a couple of years, but I, I know the owner. It, uh, I will say the exact opposite about Duralite that I just said about Road King. Their product is amazing, always has been, but so has their customer service over the years. That That is a company we never had a single complaint, and I'm not saying it hasn't changed. I'm not saying that, that that's not what they're telling you. I believe what you're telling me. Um, 
But Bruce, I know how do you feel about them as far as in the past? I uh, think they've always been amazing at customer service. Yeah, I've never had a problem with them. Um, we we do I not didn't know they were made, made in China now. I guess it's, they're designed in Canada and assembled in China. So I don't know if they, they dropped the quality of the grommets that they're assembled over oh. there in China now. or. Now, I'm not sure. This is the but first one I've heard uh, of any I just, issue with a Duralite charger yeah. cooler. So if we start to see a pattern, we may know. Did I done cut cut the top and bottom and slid the end off it to see what was wrong with it, since I wasn't going to send it back anyways. And, you know, if I could just get the grommets, I could pop them in the holes and slide it back together and re-weld the top and bottom bracket, and I'd be good to go. But I can't even find the grommets for that, that charger oh. cooler, so... I would still send it back with a nice letter and uh, <laughs> and follow up yeah. with it. Yeah, and I'd they, uh, right to them in Canada. Do you have a... I know you guys sell radiators. Do you sell charger cooler too? Or? Yes, we do. And are they, <laughs> are they Duralites or are they different? No, no. Ours are... What's it called, Pete? Bar and plate. plate. Bar, Bar and plate. plate, and they have, what, a seven-year warranty? That is okay. correct. Yeah, I was looking and on your, we have, your website. They're not listed on your website anywhere. So. And we are not having any failures. Have we yeah. had any failures at all, Pete? A couple, and one, it cracked on the side, which is an unusual failure, and it was one of those deals where they warranted it, even though they're like, nah, I don't think this is our failure. You know, was it uh, mishandled? Customer, we sold it to the customer, he put it on, uh, but it cracked like where the piping connects to, not at the oh. fins like they normally leak. Yeah. Uh, but they covered it. I mean, literally, and we sell an awful lot of air to airs. We've had a couple fail, and they've covered under warranty without a question and it just hasn't been an issue. You know, as long as, you know, something didn't go through it, a rock, a, a tool, right. you know, something like that, they've been good covering, but we've had very good success with ours. All right. With that, we're going to have to wrap this up. We are all out of time for today. Uh, I want to thank all the guys from Pittsburgh Power. Awesome show today. Great seeing everybody uh, at the shop and at the show. And uh, we're going to continue to grow this. Hey, Bruce, the other thing, uh, I think I am going to head over there and, and let you guys do some work on this. But uh, I'm also going to get the equipment and get you guys all set up to be able to do your own show with studio quality right there from uh, from your offices at the shop. Good. Get three three headsets. We'll do. We'll get you all set up. So uh, okay. Pretty soon you guys will be running your own show. I know you've got some great ideas, so we'll be talking more about that. But I've got to wrap this up and get out of here. We will be back tomorrow. I believe I'm going to try to do uh, two hours of Destination Health. We'll see uh, how calls go. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. I'm Kevin Rutherford. <laughs>